Hello and welcome to Project Next. I'm Finn Blake and I'm bringing to light success stories to empower the next generation. Today is episode six and I'm talking to Sam Kozlowski, the co-founder of up-and-coming news company, The Daily Oz. In this episode, Sam tells me all about his decision to jump out of a stable job at a top-tier law firm to take on The Daily Oz full-time. Sam also reveals the secrets that help The Daily Oz reach over 200,000 followers and counting. If you're looking to explore a career in law, media, or startups, you'll love hearing Sam's story. As always, if you're a fan of this episode, don't forget to hit that five-star button and leave us a review below. I'm very excited for this one, so without further ado, let's get into it. Sam Kozlowski of The Daily Oz, the co-founder, um, I'm very excited for this interview because you have taken the leap of faith, Sam. Um, you've gone out of a corporate career path in law to starting your own thing uh, with a friend of yours, so I'm very excited to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Finn. It's um, great to be here. So I actually, I suppose there's no real conventional path to starting up your own media company, so I'd love to go back to the start and get a sense of, you know, where you saw your career heading as a kid. Uh, what did you sort of want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a journalist. Um, my dad was uh, a journalist and my uncle and my grandfather, and it very much was inbuilt into the way that my family talked at the dinner table. And, you know, I was... All I would want to do on school holidays was go to visit my dad's newsroom um, just to like feel the buzz of it. Um, you know, I did it for work experience. It's, it's really all I wanted to do. Um, and what I think I loved the most about it was the pace. Uh, and I really just absorbed as much nonfiction books as a little kid as possible. Um, and it wasn't until I thought about what I wanted to do at uni that law came into the picture. Um, and I was attracted to the fact that I could do law and journalism together. Um, so I took that and then I got taken in a corporate law direction, but now I'm back on this straight and narrow. I'd love to go back to when you were making the decision about what you wanted to do. Towards the end of your high school years, you would have had to have decided upon law and media. What appealed to you about combining both of them? Law for me is about how the world works. Um, journalism for me is about telling the stories of how the world works, but law is actually the mechanics of how the world works. So every decision that we make as a society is somewhat grounded in our legal frameworks. And I've always been really interested in not only why those frameworks are, th are there, but how to change them. Um, and so I entered law with a real drive to learn as much as I can about human rights law. That was my kind of area of focus in my degree. I really am interested in terrorism um, and terror law um, and, and the combination of those two areas. So why, why human rights kind of go out the window a little bit when we deal with terror suspects, um, why there's more search powers, all that kind of interesting stuff. I really enjoyed that nexus. Um, and then you can't do a law degree by, by itself. You have to combine it with something. Um, and so journalism was the, the obvious choice there. But I actually worked full time throughout university, throughout my whole degree. Um, at Fox Sports in social media. And I think in terms of journalism, I learned a lot more there on the job as I did in uni. I think journalism is one of those jobs that you just have to get on the ground and work in. 
Um, I think there's a lot of discussion about the the validity of doing a law degree if you don't want to actually go down uh, the legal path. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? And did you have that thought in the back of your mind? Did you feel as though it, you were worried about it being a waste of time if you didn't actually want to practice law? It, it's it's an awfully big commitment. Um, you know, it's a long slog of a degree. Um, I knew I didn't want to be a corporate lawyer. I knew that my skill set, you know, I, I don't have good attention to detail. I can't sit still for a very long time. Um, all of those factors didn't quite add up to what corporate law had to offer. Um, there is a massive sentiment in law schools around Australia that a lot of people are there without knowing why they're there. Um, and they're there because they got a really high ATAR and got in. Um, but, you know, of my cohort of 100 or so law students at UNSW, I would estimate that probably 25% of them are actually still lawyers now. Yeah. And do you think that's a problem? Well, I don't think it's a problem enough that we should restrict entry into a law degree by making you promise that you're going to be a lawyer or something like that. Yeah. Um, a lot of law schools have introduced a more rounded um, exam entry system where you might have to write a statement of intent or an answer of creative writing or something to move away from the kids who just absolutely smash the HSE because they're either at a great school or they're very well tutored or coached um, and they just get in because they've got a great ATAR, looking for more of that passion. Um, I think it's a problem only because as with any course, you learn off the atmosphere around you as much as you do off, off the actual course content. Um, and you'd want everybody in the room to be as passionate as you can. Going back to your story, Sam, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, how you went through your uni uh, years. You mentioned that you were working full time, but you you founded a, a business called InstaSam. Can you tell me about that? That was my first foray. Very good digging. That was my first foray <laughs> at, um, at working out what gaps in the market exist in social media and how can I fill them. And it came about because there were a number of cafes, local cafes who knew they should have been on Instagram, but didn't know how to do it. And so I just threw my hand up and started this really small boutique um, content system where I'd kind of like arrange everything from an initial photography session where I'd get a photographer to come in and take 400 photos um, of the cafe and then leaking out content, just someone to actually do it because in the early days of Instagram, there was a lot of buzz around, you know, businesses need to be on there to be discoverable. Um, but a lot of these older business owners really couldn't be stuffed doing it. So I filled that niche. It was on the side of my other work at Fox. Um, and it was quite fun. You know, I, I, I think that's where it sparked a little addiction to growing things from zero. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, it really thrills me. Yeah. And so do you feel as an InstaSam, I'd love to hear a little bit down the track about, you know, the, the principles and the learnings that you took from InstaSam and implemented into the daily odds. But yeah. did you feel as though it was kind of a, a validation of you wanting to, you know, go and t test the entrepreneurial waters, if you like? Definitely. It was a lesson for me in that I work a lot better when I'm working for myself rather than for other people. Um, and that's... I don't think that's because I'm hard to work with particularly. I just think it's because I, um, I, I like to see 
where rabbit holes lead me. Um, and that lends itself to um, no, a structureless environment of working. Um, and when you work with someone, you sign a contract and you, you've got structure. Um, so I think it was, it was an, an opportunity for me to explore the difference between the two approaches of working. Um, but it was also an opportunity for me to understand how actually the barriers to entry for social media innovation were very low. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were lots of little things that I picked up along the way. I remember in the 2014 FIFA World Cup, um, I made a meme page on Facebook called um, the Invisible Foam Fan Page because it was the first tournament where they'd used that foam where there was a free kick yeah. and they drew a line. And I was like amazed at how creative that was of them. So I made a fan page and we had 50,000 followers. I did with my, my mates. We had 50,000 followers within a week. But, you know, the barriers to entry are zero. Anyone can start the idea that they've got on social media. And we see that all the time. You know, the number of small-scale book review pages um, I see with, like, 80 followers and they're just reviewing whatever book they're reading that month, it's awesome. I mean, the fact that you are just started a podcast. I mean, we are so lucky to have the democratization of content creation that I think you only really understand how easy and fun it is when you actually get your feet on the ground and start doing it yourself away from some of the big players. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What, what, what would the advice be to, um, you know, uni students and young people who are probably umming and ahhing about, uh, yeah. you know, getting their feet on the ground and having, having a crack at their own thing? What would the advice be? You have to start right now and do not evaluate the success of your project for 12 months. We did the Daily Oz for three years, every single day of the year, like Christmas and the day we couldn't be stuffed and the days we were sick and everything. We did it exactly the same time, every day for three years with under, that we maxed out at three years at 5,000 followers. But for the first 18 months, we were on no more than a thousand and most of them were friends. So the key to our success has been the fact that, you know, of course we knew exactly what to do when COVID-19 hit. And that's what led to our growth because we'd been training for three years. And so, you know, let's say that you've got hypothetically a podcast where you're interviewing young entrepreneurs and young people to think about different ways to approach life and career and all that kind of thing. You know, you got to stick it at, it at it for not just the six episodes or whatever, but for the 60. Um, and I'm still, we're still practicing that mantra. I mean, we started a podcast in March and it is going to take time to build, but we're just doing it every day. We're already up to episode 128. And it's like just a five-minute news podcast every day that you can listen to wherever. Um, and it is just about repetition. We're not, we're not looking at every single day's numbers mm -hmm. and saying, all right, well, Wednesday was a good episode. Why was it good? We're just putting our heads down and just trying as much shit as possible. And then in 12 months' time, we'll go, okay, that was pretty good. Or no, nah, we've given them a crack and that's enough. It, does it, Sam, does it frustrate you to think back to, um, you know, you made the invisible foam page and that catches on and, and gets 50,000 likes, you know, yeah. pretty accidentally. Yeah. Um, does it frustrate you to look at, you know, the daily or, or did it frustrate you before you'd, you'd caught on to being mainstream um, that you were putting in all this work and you were being strategic about it and it wasn't quite catching on? No. Because it's 
you have to take a rounded look at these passion projects that you pursue. I mean, the, the Daily Oz was something that I talked about in my job interview to get into corporate law. Yep. And so even if there were six followers of the Daily Oz, the fact that I used that to get a great job that had an awesome salary and gave me an amazing professional experience is worth enough. The fact that I developed an amazing professional relationship with journalists and, you know, people who I'd message on Twitter just to reach out is enough. Um, the, the very act of networking, whether you've got momentum behind a project or not, is a sensational skill. So I don't think it was frustrating me at all. I think perhaps the only sense of frustration I felt was that I knew it could be something really special, but I was doing it between 5.30 a.m. and 6.30 a.m., and then at 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. and doing stuff I didn't particularly want to be doing in the rest of the time. Yeah. So I want to. I do want to um, talk about the the law um, phase of your journey because you did you did work at Allen's and um, and and worked there for a few years. When you got to the end of uni, when did you make the decision that you wanted to opt for the law path rather than going straight into journalism? So I did a. Um... I did a clerkship at Allen's still with a year to go in my degree. And then I did an amazing summer course at Columbia University in New York with UNSW on human rights law. And I kind of had it in my head of like, okay, well, if the daily doesn't take off, which was because the daily was already happening by this point, if the daily doesn't take off, then I want to be a human rights lawyer. This is what I want to do. Uh, and then I spoke to a lot of people and I said to them, what's the best way to go about that? And they all said the same thing, which was that go into a corporate law setting and learn how to work hard, learn how to work fast, learn how to work accurately um, and learn all the building blocks and skills that you need when you go and do human rights law. And so that's what I did. I, I There was a, a grad offer. I was really lucky there was a grad offer at Allen's that I could accept. Um, and I went in. Um, with the belief that I needed to do a minimum of two years uh, and then I would reevaluate where I was after two years. Yeah. And I lasted one year and 11 months. You didn't want to, you didn't want to do the, the extra month. The time had come. I had to, I had to grab the opportunity while it was nice. there. I like um, it. Yeah. I had, I had, I had to go like there was the daily Oz was growing so quickly and we were starting to get media attention mm -hmm. and people at work were going, well, hang on, are you, are you that guy or are you that guy? Um, so I, I, the time had come and I didn't hit that symbolic two years, but I, in my head I did. Yeah. And so, Sam, um, you were obviously doing daily odds on the side as well. Yeah. What were you taking out of the day-to-day -day work um, at Allen's that you found was really useful to implement in what you were doing with the daily odds? Lots, lots of, I mean, it was about quality. It was about accountability. Um, and transparency. Those were kind of the three main qualities and skills that I found really wove their way between. Because at the end of the day, writing a piece for the Daily Oz and also being a lawyer is about answering a question and explaining it to people who might not be from that world. So whether it's writing an advice for a client who isn't a lawyer, um, but you know is is needs needs guidance on the best way to to execute their transaction, or writing an explainer on um, what is the Delta variant. It's the same ability to 
transfer your knowledge and your information in your little bubble into a wider context. Awesome. And so, Sam, um, I have to ask. Yeah. There would be so many people listening um, that are, you know, keen on a, a career in law, want to explore their options in going into a big firm. What would yeah. the advice be to them in terms of the recruiting process and in terms of, you know, going for interviews and that stuff? I think it's a worthy. I think it's a worthy pursuit. Um, even though it wasn't my chosen path for my career, I, I really don't have anything bad to say about corporate law. I just think it wasn't for me. Um, what I would say to people exploring the options is that the life of any junior professional is not glamorous, whether that's a junior management consultant or an investment banker or a tax advisor or anything in professional services, the juniors get the rough end of the stick. Um, and I would encourage junior employees to kind of acknowledge and embrace that, not put so much stress on themselves to hunt for the really good stuff, but be okay with the fact that it's going to be a bit average for a while. Um, but for the people, for my friends who are still there, all of that work that was really tough and average and long nights and all that, that kind of thing has really helped them as they now progress up the career ladder. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if my cohort, at Allen's is, you know, some major legal stars of Australia in the decades to come. Yeah. It's because we had a hard training. But, you know, if you go into an elite forces unit of an army, you don't go straight into the battlefield. You do a lot of hard shit. And um, it's exactly the same in law, except perhaps with less less mud. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I, I, I do want to touch on um, the Daily Oz and how it started now. Um, where did the idea come from? And... and you know, who came up with it and what was the issue you were trying to solve? I was always that friend who my friends would come to me and say, I'm about to go on a date with a girl. Can you just explain what's happening in North Korea so I don't sound stupid? Um, or more interestingly, perhaps more concerningly, I was the friend who people would say, hey, the federal elections tomorrow, I don't know which box to tick. Can you just briefly tell me what these guys all say about climate change? Because that's probably what I'll make my decision on. Yeah. And so that was on one side of the equation of things that are a problem that I identified. And then the other side of the, of the equation was that I noticed um, every major news player in Australia, when they were introducing their social media strategies, it was all about getting people off social media. Mm-hmm. So everyone was putting on like a lead or a photo and saying click here for more and that would drive them off platform and i know us and i know our generation i'm 26 now but i was 22 when i started the daily and i didn't want to leave instagram and i i likened it to every time if you clicked a tv show on netflix and it took you off netflix you'd be a bit annoyed and if you the same thing with music on spotify we're used to consuming information in in app Mm-hmm. And so I didn't see anybody giving it a go on just let's just embrace the fact that it's going to be a picture of your coffee, a picture of your friend in Greece, and then an article about interest rates, and then another picture of coffee. And let's just slot it in because if we can reach an audience that is alienated from traditional news because they don't understand it and it's boring, and we can give them a tiny bit of information for five minutes a day, that's actually better for society. So I had that plan. And then I think because I'm just so extroverted and I like working in teams so much, even before I'd started, I put something on LinkedIn saying, 
I've got an idea and I don't want to do it alone. Literally, that's what I said. Um, message me if you want to hear more. And Zara messaged. We'd never really talked before. We were friends of friends. Um, and she messaged on March 9th. Then on March 10th, we went for a coffee. Um, and she said, this is a fantastic idea. She was working at Sky News at the time and I was at Fox. Um, and that day, she, her and I started the Daily Oz officially and gave each other 50% of this non-existent nothing. Um, and um, we've spoken every single day since. And she's, you know, probably one of my closest, if not my closest friend. Yeah. Um, and now we're running a, a company together and we've got employees and we're like really taking on the world. And it's very fun. Now, what did you learn from uh, the earlier business ventures that you'd already tried and, and even your experience, you know, in journalism? The biggest lesson from Fox and from InstaSam and all of those kind of fun junior ventures is that content is king. It's like every, even now when stuff comes across our desk of let's spend a heap of money on this particular ad initiative, we retreat back to our position that let's write a good piece instead. And that comes from, you know, the cafes, marketing the cafes on Instagram. It wasn't going to be about any, there's no cheat to the system. It's about let's put on some beautiful photography and let's give people who bring this profile to the cafe a free coffee. Like that's content. Um, you know, at Fox Sports, it was all about the quality of the content really when it did well. The marketing and all of those machines around it are really important, but it was just reinforced to me time and time again that the quality of the product is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't spend any money at all on paid marketing for the Daily Oz in the first four and a half years. Talk, talk me through your, your growth hacking strategies, if you like. What yeah. are the biggest um, strategies that you implemented that you saw were really, really effective? Repetition of content and habit forming with the audience. So, you know, the fact that our Instagram stories go up at 8 a.m. every single day without fail means that not only do people learn to expect that at 8 a.m., but the social media platform itself algorithmically understands that that's when we upload content. And so it kind of like tailors our audience and our reach and all that kind of thing to this rhythm that we're in. So that's one of the ways that we grow is just being consistent. The other ways that we grow a lot is is recognizing when we need to be quick and when we need to be, um, when we can take a bit more time with things. So with something like COVID numbers, we have built another habit with our audience that they don't have to watch the press conferences because if the press conference starts at 11, we're going to have a post up at 11.01. Not 11.07, not 11.15, but 11.01 so that they don't feel like they're waiting for it and missing out, but they don't have to watch watch it either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then influencers is a great way to do it, but we've taken a very different strategy with influencers where we've said um, we've never paid for any influencer marketing, um, but we've said to them like, when we see somebody putting up a post with a big following and it is a post about the lockdowns or whatever, or the vaccines, the vaccine's a good example, we'll reach out to them and say, let us know if you need any accurate information to give to your audience. Like you're a football player or a model or whatever. Yeah. You, you shouldn't be expected to provide a really detailed explanation of the different types of vaccines and their pros and cons. We can do that for you um, if you share it with your audience. Mm-hmm. And so um, some examples where we've really done that well would be like Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, June last year, everyone was posting black squares 
everyone was posting these really socially um, complicated issues. And we just said, we just distributed our stuff. And we said, look, we've done a comparison of black deaths in America to, to indigenous deaths in Australia. Feel free to share it with your audience if you want. Yep. Um, and they do. And then we get followers from that. In a journalistic sense, um, how do you guys go about navigating what content to put out there? Because I feel as though that's an issue that not many people would really think about, but I'm sure it's a massive issue from your point of view. Huge. Content curation is is everything. You know, we our whole model is about how can we tell you what you need to know in five minutes a day. That requires curation. That requires us looking at 30 stories in a day and going, well, this one is is really important. Um, be it the uh, wildfires in Greece today. Um, super important story that is causing a, a heck of a lot of damage and loss of life. Um, does it make it into a five-minute wrap-up for the Daily Oz? It didn't today. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not a, an important story. It just means that we made a, a values-based decision on what to include and what to not include. Um, and that's a really, really tricky um, balance will always we're always going to get criticism for missing stuff and that's just the name of the game have um, you kind of got a frame, framework that you work through is there a kind of agreed upon way that you go about making a decision there's like a there's an agreed upon workflow um so yeah. you know a journalist will pitch it to to zara who leads our newsroom and zara will kind of bounce it around with me if she needs to and, and work out whether it's something that a a young person should know um, and that's our values judgment of course but b whether it's something that they're going to come across um, so if they're having a water cooler conversation at work and somebody says hey did you hear what happened in greece um, we want them to be equipped for that mm-hmm. um, it goes back to that original thing of the date right you want to be you want to have all the tools ready for the date yeah <laughs> um so it's it's us trying to really understand our audience but our audience also gives us a heap of feedback Yep. So we'll constantly get DMs. I mean, we get hundreds a day of, can you please explain this? Can you please talk about this? Or even, why the hell did you cover this? It's, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Like, they're very vocal. And so we've learned. We've learned a lot along the way with, with all of them. What do you, I, I, I was going to ask you this at the end, but uh, I've, I've got a big philosophy in, uh, of um, it's either a win or a learn. And I've asked some of my previous guests what their biggest learn is. And I, I, yeah. I, I think it's probably got negative connotations but it shouldn't be negative because you can turn every negative into a positive but what do you think the biggest moment where you're like okay i could have done that better i've learned from that moment there's been a few pieces of content that we have gotten wrong um and what we did at the beginning is not our approach now but it was definitely a learn moment where we would delete the piece um take it down we don't have the advantage of, you know, an online publisher where we can go in and edit the text. Mm-hmm. It's a photo, right? So it's an uploaded photo. If it's wrong, we either take it down or, or acknowledge it's wrong. And we've flipped from taking it down uh, and covering it up in terms of, you know, putting on the rectified version or whatever to writing in the comments saying, we got this fully wrong. Here's what's happened since we put this up and this is what you now need to understand. The one that really sticks out to me is, a terrible story of a, um, a, uh, a woman and her two children who died in a, a arson attack in Brisbane last year. And the headline in all other media said, you know, woman, two children dies, husband in custody. And 
So we ran with this story, a woman, two children had died, the husband's in custody. Mm -hmm. And then we put links to domestic violence hotlines. We said, if this triggers you, call these numbers. Now, it turned out that the husband actually didn't do anything and he wasn't even there. Mm -hmm. Um, But we had his name and his face and we essentially insinuated he was the prime suspect in this really horrific crime. And when it emerged that that wasn't the case, we took it down, re-uploaded it as it should have been, but then wrote in the comments, this is what this is what we had previously said and this is why we were very wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't good at that in the early days. We were constantly reiterating and deleting and everything, but now we've, we've embraced that. You know, shit happens quick. Um, the news, people don't know what's happening and, and we need to roll with that. Yeah. And how forgiving have you found that, you know, all the followers and things are because, you know, naturally with mainstream media, everyone's uh, very unforgiving. Have you found that there's a little bit more leeway because of how genuine you guys are in your pursuit of getting the truth out there? The constant fear is always that we'll get cancelled. Cancelled is this big kind of buzz phrase around the world. Um, And what we've learned is that you have to be unwilling to listen to be cancelled um so you know i don't think we'll ever get to a point where we don't listen to our audience quick enough um and we're not responsive enough that we get to that but our audience is really um vocal with how they feel about our pieces but they're also thankful that we do them and that we write them Mm -hmm. you know we're a free service so there's no need to talk about refunds or cancellations of subscriptions the big, the big teller for us is um, is follows and unfollows. And we get unfollows every single day because that's just how social media works. But we are yet to have a big disaster day of thousands of unfollows because we've said something terrible. Yep. Um, the thing that helps from our perspective is that we just report the facts and we just report what's actually happening, which um, means that we're not injecting our opinion everywhere, which means that we're it's harder to be wrong. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm scared of our audience, but I also love them. But they're, they're pretty harsh. They're pretty harsh. They'll they'll tell me exactly what they think about my tone on the podcast, or the way that we're going about our work, or whether you know if if God forbid the COVID stats are up at eleven o two, not eleven o one. Yeah. There'll be um riots, the riots the in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. I mean, that's engagement. That's that's unreal. That's for sure. people who give a shit, which is fantastic. And so you have touched on the the learn, um, the the hardest moment that you've had in the whole Daily Oz journey. But um, even looking more broadly on, upon your journey, what do you see as being the opposite, the biggest win? Um, it's it's little things like we got sent a screenshot of the Daily Oz being used in a classroom um, as like an activity for Year Four students of write up your weekend to make it look like a daily Oz post. Awesome. Um, that's super special. Yeah. Um, we have had a lot of amazing response to stories we've done about really important issues that people have said, like, you've finally helped me understand, you know, uh, things around racism or me too, or how politics works or climate. You've finally helped me get this. And now I'm decided to study climate science at university. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know we provided that foot in the door and the accessible information that actually helped them understand the first tiny tiny step um, 
Yeah, there's been a lot of wins. For sure. Yeah. And so, um, you know, reflecting upon this awesome journey so far, it's it's very clear to see that you're very focused on helping the next generation and trying to foster that, um, you know, education in a democratized way. Um, yeah. Where where to next? What's what can we expect to see from the Daily Oz? We need to keep growing our team. Um, so we need to keep hiring full time journalists to who are young um, and can just keep looking at things from different angles um, and creating a newsroom of young journos to feed off each other uh, and a culture of inquisitorial but responsible journalism. Um, that's going to be really important is actually just growing the bums on seats. Um, and then we're starting to play around with video um, and expanding out the way that we convey information. So we've got our podcast, we've got our newsletter, we've got our Instagram. Um, so video is another big front. Then sport, we just launched our sports page with the Olympics. That is going to grow, I think, really. And I think that's going to be a really great part of the brand. Um, again, telling sports stories and sports information different to sports media in Australia now. So our aim with the sports page is not to be for the sports lover, but to be for the sports lover's housemate. Mm-hmm. So the Helping out with the date be, thing. Yeah, helping out with the date thing, you know. Um, you don't need to be an expert in the EPL. You just need to know what the scores were from the weekend so that your friend who's a Chelsea fan can be part of your conversation. Yeah. Um, no one's doing that. Sport, sports journalism is, is really scary to enter into. Yep. You need to be an expert. You need to be embedded in the stats. You know, every sports podcast in the country pretty much is over an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, what if you just wanted five minutes? So we're going to keep exploring sport. And then it's just going to be about telling more breaking news and original content. So not recapping and explaining only, but let's go find stuff. Let's go expose underpayment of young people at companies. Let's go um, look at how decisions are made in government and whether they're made with the right motivations in mind um, and, and just constantly keeping bastards honest. Yep. Sam, I can't wait to see um, where it all ends up. I, I'm really appreciative of your time and um, you know, I've, I've loved being a follower of the Daily Oz for quite a Thank while you. now and um, really, you know, engage deeply with the content you put up. So thank you so much for taking the time and it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Finn. Really appreciate it.